Hey guys, welcome back to another bonus episode of Sword. This season is all about folklore from various regions. Last week, we covered the Indian subcontinent, and today, we are going to be discussing Native American culture and folklore. Native Americans have an extremely rich culture, which continues to exist today on reservations across the country. They were the first ones on the land in which I live today. They taught the British how to grow crops and help them to survive and grow a colony on these new lands. Their presence is quite evident, as 1.5% of the American population is Native American. Chiefs were powerful, intelligent, and courageous, and they fought to protect their home and loved ones with all of their might. They had a deep belief in the spiritual and divine powers belonging to some animals. Have you ever wondered why Native Americans are sometimes called Indians? This is because Christopher Columbus was searching for a way to get to India by going left from Europe instead of right, because the world is circular of course. When he saw land, he assumed he was in India, though it was actually South and North America which was in the way. Not ever being in India before, he called all the Native Americans living there Indians, and that's why even today, they are sometimes referred to as Indians. There were many Native American tribes, one of them being the Cheyenne, and here is one of their folktales. Now please enjoy the story, Arrow Boy. After the Cheyenne had received their corn, and while they were still in the north, a young man and woman of the tribe were married. The woman became pregnant and carried her child in the womb for four years. The people watched with great interest to see what would happen, and when the woman gave birth to a beautiful boy in the fourth year, they regarded him as supernatural. Before long, the woman and her husband died, and the boy was taken in by his grandmother who lived alone. He learned to walk and talk very quickly. He was given a buffalo calf robe and immediately turned it inside out so that the hair side was outward, the way medicine men wore it. Among the Cheyenne, there were certain medicine men of extraordinary wisdom and superhuman powers. Sometimes they would come together and put up a lodge. Sitting in a large circle, they chanted and went through curious rituals, after which each man rose and performed wonders before the crowd. One of these magic dances were held when the boy was about ten. He made his grandmother ask if he could take part, and the medicine man let him enter the lodge. Where do you want to live? the chief of the medicine men asked. Meaning, where do you want to sit? Without ceremony, the boy took the seat beside the chief. To the man who had ushered him in, the child gave directions to paint his body red and draw black rings around his face, wrists, and ankles. The performance began at one end of the circle. When the boy's turn came, he told the people what he was going to do. He used sweet grass to burn incense. Then he passed his buffalo snow bowstring east, south, west, and north through the smoke. He asked two men to assist him and told them to tie his bowstring around his neck, cover his body with his robe, and pull up the ends of the string. They pulled with all their might, but they could not move him. He told them to pull harder, and as they tugged at the string, his head was severed. It rolled out from under the robe, and the men put it back. 
Next, the men lifted the robe up. Instead of the boy, a very old man was sitting in his place. They covered the old man with the robe and pulled it away again, this time revealing a pile of human bones with a skull. A third time they placed the robe over the bones and lifted it. Nothing at all was there. But when for a fourth time they spread the robe over the empty place and removed it, the wonderful boy sat in its place, as if nothing had happened. After the magic dance, the Cheyenne moved their camp to hunt buffalo. When a kill had been made, the wonderful boy led a crowd of boys who went hunting for calves that might return to the place where they last saw their mothers. The boys found five or six calves, surrounded them, and killed a two-year-old with their arrows. They began to skin it very carefully with bone knives, keeping the hide of the head intact and leaving the hooves on, because the wonderful boy wanted the skin for a robe. While they worked, a man driving the dog team approached them. It was Young Wolf, head chief of the tribe, who had come to the killing ground to gather what bones had been left. He said, My children have favored me at last. I'll take charge of this buffalo. You boys go on off. The children obeyed, except for the wonderful boy, who kept skinning as he explained that he wanted only the hide for a robe. The chief pushed the wonderful boy aside, but the boy returned and resumed skinning. Then the chief jerked the boy away and threw him down. The boy got up and continued his work. Pretending that he was skinning one of the hind legs, he cut the leg off at the knee and left the hoof on. When the chief shouldered the boy out of the way and took over the work, the wonderful boy struck him on the back of the head with the buffalo leg. The chief fell dead. The boys ran to the camp and told the story, which caused great excitement. The warriors assembled and decided to kill the wonderful boy. They went out to look for him near the body of their chief, but the boy had returned to camp. He was sitting in his grandmother's lodge while she cooked food for him in an earthen pot, when suddenly the whole teepee was raised by the warriors. Quickly, the wonderful boy kicked the pot over, sending the contents into the fire. As the smoke billowed up, the boy rose with it. The old woman was left sitting alone. The warriors looked around and saw the boy about a quarter of a mile away, walking off towards the east. They ran after him but could not seem to get closer. Four times they chased him with no success, and then they gave up. People became afraid of the wonderful boy. Still they looked for him every day, and at last, they once saw him on the top of a nearby hill. The whole camp gathered to watch as he appeared on the summit five times, each time in a different dress. First he came as a red shield warrior in a headdress made out of buffalo skin. He had horns, a spear, a red shield, and two buffalo tails tied to each arm. The second time he was a coyote warrior with his body painted black and yellow and with two eagle feathers sticking up on his head. The third time, he appeared as a dogman warrior, wearing a feathered headdress and carrying an eagle bone whistle, a rattle of buffalo hoof, and a bow and arrow. The fourth time, he was a hoof rattle warrior. His body was painted and he had a rattle to sing by and a spear about eight feet long, with a crook at one end and the shaft at the other end bent in a semicircle. The fifth time, his body was painted white, and on his forehead, he wore a white owl skin. After this, the wonderful boy disappeared entirely. No one knew where he went, 
people thought him dead, and he was soon forgotten, for the buffalo disappeared and famine came to the Cheyenne. During this time, the wonderful boy traveled alone into the highest ranges of the mountains. As he drew near a certain peak, a door opened in the mountain slope. He passed through the earth, and the opening closed after him. There inside the mountain, he found a large circle of men. Each represented a tribe, and was seated beneath that tribe's bundle. They welcomed the wonderful boy, and pointed out the one empty place under a bundle wrapped in fox skin. If you take this seat, the bundle will be yours to carry back to the Cheyenne, the henpen said. But first, you will remain here for four years, receiving instruction in order to become your tribe's prophet and counselor. The wonderful boy accepted the bundle, and all the men gave thanks. When his turn came to perform the bundle ceremony, they took it down and showed him its sacred ceremonies, songs, and four medicine arrows, each representing certain powers. Then for four years under the mountain peak, they taught him prophecies, magic, and ceremonies for warfare and hunting. Meanwhile, the Cheyenne were weak with hunger, threatened by starvation. All the animals had died, and the people ate herbs. One day, as the tribe was traveling in search of food, five children lagged behind to look for herbs and mushrooms. Suddenly, the wonderful boy, now a young man bearing the name of Arrow Boy, appeared before them. My poor children, throw away those mushrooms, he said. It is I who brought famine among you, for I was angry with your people when they drove me from their camp. I have returned to provide for you. You shall not hunger in the future. Go and gather some dried buffalo bones, and I will feed you. The children ran away and picked up buffalo bones, and the wonderful boy, Arrow Boy, made a few passes that turned them into fresh meat. He fed the children with fat, marrow liver, and other strengthening parts of the buffalo. When they had eaten all they wanted, he gave them fat and meat. Take this to your people, he said. Tell them that I, Matzeyuf, Arrow Boy, have returned. Though the boys ran to the camp, Matzeyuf reused his magic to reach it first. He entered the lodge of his uncle and lay down to rest, for he was tired. The uncle and his wife were sitting just outside, as they didn't see Arrow Boy pass by. The boys arrived in camp with their tail, which created great excitement. The uncle's wife went to the lodge to get a pipe, and it was then that she saw Arrow Boy lying covered with a buffalo robe. The robe and his shirt, leggings, and moccasins were all painted red. Guessing that he was Montzeyuf, the men went into the lodge, asked the stranger to sit up, and cried over him. They saw his bundle, and knowing that he had power, they asked him what they should do. Montzeyuf told the Cheyenne to camp in a circle and set up a large teepee in the center. When this had been done, he called all the medicine men to bring their rattles and pipes. Then he went into the teepee and sang the sacred songs that he had learned. It was night before he came to the song about the fourth arrow. In the darkness, the buffalo returned with a roar like thunder. The frightened Cheyenne went into Arrowboy and asked him what to do. Go and sleep, he said. For the buffalo, your food has returned to you. The roar of the buffalo continued through the night as long as he sang. The next morning, the land was covered with buffalo, and the people went out and killed all they wanted. From that time forth, owing to the medicine arrows, the Cheyenne had plenty to eat and great powers. I hope you enjoyed this story. And next is folklore from the Lakota tribe. The Wicked Sister-in-Law 
For many moons, Tahakawin had been working on a new teepee, for the old one was worn from much use and travel. At last, the teepee was finished and placed in the camp circle. When Chano saw his new home, he was very excited. It was beautiful, large and painted on the outside. As he entered the lodge, he decided that it was even more beautiful inside. The painting on the dewcloth or inner lining that made a wall hanging completely around the outside of the teepee was in geometric designs of clear colors. Parfaches or containers made of rawhide, also painted in bright colors, were placed beside the backrests for his mother, Tahakawin, for his father, Tasanigi, and for himself. He knew that his mother had carefully packed the parfaches containers with their personal belongings. It was his responsibility to be sure that his own things were always in the correct place in case they needed to move along quickly and unexpectedly. He hoped that they would stay there a long time. Since winter was coming, perhaps they would. The beds were covered with soft, thick furs. The little fire in the center of the pit burned brightly, spreading a welcome warmth. He sat down carefully on his bed of furs and smiled happily at his father and mother. They all looked about them silently. At last, Tasanigi said to Tatatuan, Lila waste, very good. On the skin hanging was a picture record of Chano's grandfather, and one of his father, a story of an important event in their lives. Chano thought to himself that he had never seen a more interesting dewcloth. He had been well trained to relate the story of his people. He knew that for many, many years, his father and his grandfather, and great-grandfather and those before him, had been leaders in his tribe. The stories of the dewcloth were not new to him, but suddenly for the first time, he realized that because of this beautiful skin hanging around the inside of the teepee, the lodge was warm. Eight, Chano said to his father, whoever thought of the dewcloth was very clever. It has two uses, one to keep us warm and the other to make our lodge beautiful. Tasanigi replied, yes, my son, but one time the dewcloth answered still another need for an evil woman. A story? Oh, please tell me. A story, yes, and about a beautiful but evil woman. A long time ago, one of the great hereditary chiefs of our tribe realized that he had become too old to be an active leader. He was blessed with two handsome sons. The older son, White Feather, was a natural leader, strong and brave. The younger son, Brave Bear, was his brother's closest companion. They were the best of friends. The old chief and the headmen of the tribe gave a feast and dance, and proclaimed Whitefeather the new chief. The whole tribe, including Brave Bear his brother, was very happy. The woman of the tribe made a large teepee for the two young brothers. When Whitefeather and Brave Bear moved into it, they were delighted to find that it was beautifully decorated. The dewcloth around the interior had pictures of Whitefeather's success in battle, with Brave Bear fighting right beside him. The teepee was in the inner circle close by the one in which White Feather and Brave Bear's father, mother, and sister lived. It was good. The sons talked and debated decisions with the wise old father. One day, a band of visitors arrived in the camp. Among them was the daughter of one of the headmen. Her name was Winona, meaning firstborn, and she was very beautiful. When White Feather saw her, he decided she would be his wife. 
he brought many horses and gifts to her father's teepee. Soon after, he brought the beautiful girl home as his wife. When Brave Bear began to take his belongings back to his father's place, Winona protested. Always, she said, you two have been close companions. Now I am your sister and you are part of our family. Brave Bear was overjoyed to stay with them, not only because of her beauty, but because she, she was skilled in all of the arts of Lakota. Their clothing and everything else was made with greater skill than any other woman in the tribe possessed. Everyone admired her. As the months went by, Winona found that the people of the tribe loved and respected her husband as a great leader. He was always calm, dignified, and just in his decisions. But Winona also discovered that his brother Brave Bear was beloved by all because of his wonderful sense of humor and his joy in living. He drew everyone to him with his gaiety. People came to him with their troubles. They would talk with him more frankly than with his brother. Brave Bear, in turn, would always counsel them, saying, My brother and I. Always the two were together, and Winona began to feel very jealous of the relationship. Because of her great beauty and the fact that she was her firstborn, her parents had always given her all she wanted. She expected to be always be first in the thoughts of her husband. She was jealous of Brave Bear because she realized he was more handsome than her husband, but she also found that in spite of herself, she enjoyed his laughter and fun just as much as other people. Slowly she began to hate Brave Bear. He seemed always to be the center of attention when they were with others. She felt her husband no longer noticed her as he had when they were first man and wife. Slowly throughout the summer months, she began to think of a plan. At first, she tried to interest Brave Bear in some of the young girls in the tribe, hoping he would marry one of them. Then as she realized how close the two brothers were, she decided to destroy Brave Bear by in some way. She tried to charm and attract Brave Bear by her great beauty, but he remained as gentle, as kind, and as brotherly to her as before. She began to take long walks every day. She always went to the pine grove and sat there imagining all the accidents that could easily be arranged for her brother-in-law. One day, she noticed a badger watching her. To her great surprise, he spoke to her and she could understand him. He told her how beautiful she was. He did not like to see her look so sad. Badger said, You are as beautiful as the wild roses here on the prairie. If I could find a gift worthy of you, I would bring it to you. If I wish only to watch you when you come to the pine forest, to be here with you is my whole life and happiness. Winona was delighted to find someone who was charmed by her great beauty. She spoke often with the badger and told him of her jealousy. Badger loved her so much that he asked only that he be allowed to help her in any way that would make her happy again. It was the month of the changing colors. The two brothers often went on hunting trips together and sometimes separately with groups of other friends. One day, Brave Bear and some friends left early on a hunting trip, hoping to be back by the mid-afternoon. While he was gone, White Feather and some of the headmen of the tribe were summoned to visit with another band about a half day's ride away from the camp. The chief did not expect to return until late in the evening. After he left, Winona suddenly decided to put her plan into final action. She left her camp as though going on one of her daily long walks to the pine grove. 
When she reached the forest, she found her badger friend waiting. She prayed Badger to do her one favor. When he consented, she concealed him under her robe and returned home. In the teepee, she had removed the furs from her brother-in-law's bed. She had moved all the belongings stored between the outside and the dewclaw to make a free space completely around the inside. She placed the door flap in a manner to indicate she was not to be disturbed. She showed Badger the space under her brother-in-law's bed. She asked him to dig out a deep hole as quickly as possible. Badger obeyed the wicked woman. As he dug, she collected the earth on several small skins and packed it around the teepee in the back of the dewclaw where it was completely concealed from the inside and outside. Winona and the badger worked quickly and quietly. She took another stroll away from the village when they were about halfway through their task. When she was sure some of the people had seen her, she returned to the teepee. She found that Badger had dug a deep, deep pit, just the size she indicated. Winona was very tired, but with the Badger's help, she managed to conceal all the earth behind the dewclaw. Returning to the teepee, she quickly put everything back in place. She covered over the deep hole with furs so well that it looked exactly like his bed. Winona made a great effort to be seen going about her duties in the afternoon. As soon as she heard the shouts of the returning hunters, she took her usual place in the teepee. Brave Bear did not return at once. She knew he was taking care of storing the meat he had butchered and watering his horses and turning them loose. When Brave Bear entered at last, she greeted him graciously. He was tired and immediately threw himself down upon his bed. Down, down, he fell into the pit. He was so surprised he did not call out. The first did not help break the fall very well, as he hit his head sharply on the large rock Winona had placed at the top end of the pit. As he lost consciousness, she tossed down old dirty pieces of skin, hoping to smother him. Quickly, she replaced the bed and covered it with all the best fur she had. The teepee appeared as it has always had. Shortly after, White Feather returned, calling the men to gather in council. He announced the tribe would have to prepare to move camp as soon as possible. The band they had visited had been harassed by groups of crow, Indians, intent on stealing horses. He sent for his brother, but Winona told the messenger that Brave Bear had taken a side of meat to an old man who lived alone a great distance from the main camp. After a search that failed to find Brave Bear, the tribe began to believe that he had been captured by the crow. There was great sadness, for if this was so, Brave Bear was dead. The family was broken-hearted. They cut their long hair, they slashed their arms, they denied themselves food, and mourned the death of their son and brother. The whole tribe mourned Brave Bear. Soon after the band had moved on to their new home, the old camping ground was overrun by hungry wolves, coyotes, and birds, eating everything they could find. An old wolf, still hungry, began to chew on the end of a buffalo robe. To his surprise, he heard a human voice calling weakly for help from below the furs. He commanded several of the young wolves to pull the furs away. When at last they saw the young man lying in the pit, they were amazed. The old wolf now ordered four of the strongest wolves to help this young to help this human up out of the pit. They were not to attack or molest the young man in any way. Brave Bear was so weak from his ordeal in the pit that the old wolf decided he must be carried to their den in the mountains. The wise old wolf commanded his brothers to carry all of the men's belongings. 
his parched left cases, his arrows and his bow, anything he felt that they would want. Anything they felt that he would want when he was able to move again. The young man realized that he was a prisoner and would die. He prayed to Wakantanka for help. He decided to trust his animal brothers and show no fear. The wolf chief said, My brother, you were rescued from a trap. You have escaped death because of us. We ask you to live among us and destroy traps laid for us and hunt large game for us to feed to these poor animals. If you will do this, we will live in peace and friendship. Brave Bear thanked the wolf chief for saving his life and pledged himself to be a real brother to his animal companions. Wolf Chief sent word to all his animal brothers to respect the young man and protect him from harm. When Brave Bear was strong again, he went on a hunting trip with the wolves. He found a small herd of buffalo grazing near a stream. He ordered his companions to remain quiet as he crawled through the bushes. When he was close enough, he shot the buffalo closest to him. The rest of the herd stampeded over the hillside. Brave Bear skinned and butchered the buffalo, cutting it into small pieces so each wolf would carry the meat easily in his jaws. On their way back to the den, Brave Bear saw an elk in the woods. He was quick enough with his bow and arrow to kill the elk. He repeated the process of butchering and carving the meat into small pieces. By that time, other foxes, coyotes, and wolves joined in, carrying the meat back home. There was great rejoicing among all the animals. Wolf Chief was very pleased. He asked the animals to wait until the young man had prepared his own meal. He ordered a fire to be made at once. Brave Bear roasted some of the buffalo meat over the fire. After he finished eating, he carefully banked the fire, for he started to hunt for the right stones with which to start his own fires again. Wolf Chief asked Brave Bear to lie down and cover himself with a blanket. He said, Your friends will be devouring the buffalo and elk. While they eat, I don't want you to uncover your face. Often the animals toss discarded bones in the air. So do not look on. The young man did as he was instructed, but he heard a terrible commotion, roaring and growling. At last, Brave Bear was so curious, he lifted a corner of the blanket to see what was going on. Just as he peered out, a sliver of bone flew into his eyes. Wolf Chief ordered the feast to be stopped. He knew what happened to Brave Bear. A bird called Magpie hopped up to the man and sat on his nose. Carefully with his beak, he picked the bone out of his eye. Brave Bear thanked Magpie, and then his animal friends resumed their feast. Brave Bear lived with the animals a long time, but every time he came upon one of the large camps, he looked to see if there might be his relatives there. He wished that he might see his brothers and his parents once again, but he still felt very bitter toward his sister-in-law. Brave Bear made his way to the first teepee, which was small and insignificant, he peered in and was astonished to see his father and mother and sister there. Quietly and without saying a word, he slipped into the teepee and sat down beside them. He was dismayed to see their poor and sparse belongings and all the indications that they still mourned him. Finally, his sister looked at him. She whispered to her mother, Mother, look, it's my brother, he returned. Brave Bear said in a loud voice, Ina, mother, Ate, father, I have come back to you. His mother, father, and sister were overjoyed. They threw their arms around him, and when they found him living, wept for joy. The next day, Whitefeather asked Brave Bear to walk with him and tell him of his adventures. 
He asked bravely why he had not returned to his teepee that night, as it had always been his home. Brave Bear told the brother the true story of the accident. He also told him of his understanding with the wolf chief. Because of Winona's crime, she was to be sent in his place to be the captive of the animals. The next day, the chief gave an order for the tribe to go on a buffalo hunt. As the party prepared to go out, Brave Bear asked his sister-in-law to accompany them. The guilty woman was anxious to please him in any way and consented to join them. She did not take part in the chase when she found the buffalo herd, but joined them when they were skinning and butchering their kill. When the other people left for home, they stayed a little longer. At the time the wolf chief had planned, Brave Bear turned to the hills and said, Here is my sister-in-law, take her now. At that signal, hundreds of wolves, foxes, and coyotes charged toward them from every direction. Brave Bear and White Feather lost sight of Winona as the animals led her back to the hills. To the hills. Silently, the two brothers began mourning for a beautiful but evil woman. Tasanagi smiled and said, See, not all sisters-in-laws are evil. Do not judge people by one bad person. Evil deeds are often punished in very strange ways and at unexpected times. Be happy that we live among such good people. He laughed as Chano reached over and peeked under the dewclaw. No earth there, Tasunagi said, but as it gets colder, we will pack the space with dry grass to help insinuate the teepee from the cold. Think now only of the beauty of our lodge and the goodness of your mother. Chano sighed, then smiled lovingly at his mother and father. The end. Thanks for listening, and I hope you were inspired by these stories to read and understand more Native American folklore and culture. I hope you can see the strong spiritual connection between Native Americans and animals. I also would like to believe that you have gained respect and understanding for the Native American way. Thanks for listening. Please leave a rating and review, and I'll see you next time. I implore you to soar.